0: Welcome to the Multifamily Mavericks Podcast, hosted by Josiah Smelser and Megan Greathouse. This is your one-stop shop for building and growing your multifamily business. Join us on a weekly basis as we crack the code to multifamily investing and scale up to financial freedom. And now your hosts, Josiah and Megan. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of the Multifamily Maverick Podcast. I am excited for us to be diving into a really cool episode today with a great friend of mine, James Bobo of the Bobo Family Group. James is out of Florence, Alabama, uh, where I grew up, and uh, we've been working on some apartment deals together. Got some really exciting stuff in the works that I can't uh, give details on right now, but uh, hope I can share with you at some point here in the near future. But uh, James has got a lot of momentum in his investing career. He's uh, done a lot of multifamily deals, done some really cool stuff with uh, repurposing some commercial that he's going to talk about. And um, I had James, James was the first interview I did on my other podcast, The Daily Real Estate Investor, and I shared this episode there as well. Uh, So I'm happy to have him on the Multifamily Mavericks podcast as well. Um, and you're really going to enjoy this episode with James. He's got a lot of entrepreneurial blood, throwing. He's got a lot of entrepreneurial blood flowing through his veins, and uh, he's just making some moves. And I, I applaud his um, initiative and his proactivity, which seems to be highly correlated with success in this field. Just getting out there and and working on it, and you know not taking no for an answer. I love that. So without further ado, enjoy this episode and let's bring in James. Before we get started, let's take this opportunity to get connected. You can find me on Instagram at Daily Real Estate Investor. You can find Megan on Instagram at Part-Time Empire and our show on Instagram at Multifamily Mavericks. We're also both on LinkedIn. And if you're a multifamily investor, a multifamily syndicator, a mom and pop owner, want to partner with us on a deal, or even have a deal you want to sell, get in touch with us. We want to hear from you. Shoot us a message through Instagram or LinkedIn, and let's get to know each other. Hey guys, I'm excited today to have James Bobo on the podcast. James is a great friend of mine, and um, he's making a lot of cool moves and and uh, making a lot of progress uh, with building his real estate portfolio had James on the show previously. He was my very first podcast interview. And uh, I'm excited to bring him back and let him share some of the cool stuff he's involved with. So welcome, James.
1: Thanks for having me back. I'm, I'm, you know, honored to be the first one on there and then definitely honored to be back on here. So (laughs)
0: that's awesome. I think you're the well, I've had one guy twice. uh, So you're the second person I've had back. So you're you're in good company there. So Yeah. uh, yeah, yeah. So James, tell us for those those listeners who didn't listen to the first episode, because it's all the way back at episode number one. Um, tell us where you're located and a little bit about yourself.
1: Yeah, I am based in Florence, Alabama, uh, the Florence Muscle Shoals market. I've uh, born and bred here, been here for 36 years, and I have uh, obviously been in the real estate business for. Uh, about 20 years now I guess so yeah yeah North Alabama is a, a good uh, location to be in right now so it's a great, great place to call home
0: yeah so I grew up in Florence Alabama as well and that's how James and I got to know one another um, our parents are friends and uh went to the same church so um, James is good people he's got a great family really respect his parents a lot and uh, they're also very successful business people but Um, James is an outside the box thinker. He's, he's constantly working on real estate deals. He's helped get a lot of real estate deals done in Florence and the Florence area. And he's now got an apartment complex, class A apartment complex that is being built in the Huntsville area. Um, and I love that about James. I, I am, uh, I admire that about him um, because there's, you know, a lot of, a lot of my friends are doing the traditional nine to five approach to life. And so it's refreshing to meet people who have a similar zest for thinking outside the box and doing things differently. And um, it's been cool to watch James uh, build his portfolio. So James, let's talk about, I guess, how you got into multifamily investing, and then we can talk about some of the deals you've done. And I definitely want to talk about the the restaurant you helped bring to Florence and how you made that happen, because I think that's something that our listeners can uh, benefit from and, and learn from as well. And then I'd like to talk about the new project you have going on. So before we, you know, hit the stuff at the end, let's talk about how you got into multifamily and, and what brought you to doing this work.
1: Sure. So I got into the real estate business. I'll give you a little back history first, I guess, but I got into the real estate business when I was 19. I got my uh, real estate license uh, when I was 19, a salesperson's license, and then went to work for Real Estate Shoals, which was a local company at the time, and was there for two years, and then moved on and got my broker's license. And I was involved in, I think most people that get in the real estate sales business are involved with working with buyers, and I, I, I did a lot of that in the very beginning, you know, taking, um, what did we call it, you, 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 uh, phone, phone time, and anyways, like phone time at Real Estate shows. you sat there between like one and five, and any phone calls that came into the office, you took them, and someone might say, hey, I want to see the house on 123 Hermitage, so you went out there and met them. Uh, I learned pretty quickly that working with buyers wasn't my, uh, uh, probably wasn't the best use of my time. And then I geared up and really worked on uh, focusing on sellers, so creating and building an inventory that other agents could sell as well as I could sell. And then I was successful enough that I uh, accumulated enough to – I had a really good opportunity. I mean, I couldn't have done it without this guy that offered it to me, but it was 2009, 2009 going into 10, I believe. He – there was a gentleman here in town who I reached out to, and I said, hey, I've got a little – money that I'd like to invest in um, some commercial real estate. Do you have anything that, you know, might check this box? And he, he had an apartment complex. He had a 41 unit apartment complex and he told me what he wanted for it. He wanted $2.8 million. And at the time, you know, it totally blew my mind. And I said, I, I can't afford that. I don't know how to do that. And um, it's rather intimidating. And he said, well, I will owner finance it for you if you'll give me X down and I'll carry that note for you for, I believe it was a year or two, give you an opportunity to you know, build a history in ownership and management, and then you can refinance and pay me off. And so without that opportunity, I, I really couldn't have gotten into the multifamily business, but that was when I was 26 or 27 years old. So that was my first intro to, to multifamily.
0: That's awesome. How did you meet this guy?
1: He is a local builder and I had done some single family construction before in the past. And so I know we met through those sort of community meetings through the builders association. And, and he's just a well-known reputable, you know, home builder here in the here in the market. And, you know, someone said something the other day it was, of success is just putting yourself out there. You know, when you put yourself out there, you just meet these people. Right. So, right. um, He was, he was one of those.
0: Cool. So did he build this property himself? He did. Okay. So he built this property. How long had he held it before he approached you about selling it?
1: I want to say he had it for at least a year, if no longer than two years.
0: Okay. So it wasn't that old. So this is a two year old, apartment complex Mm -hmm. okay and how many doors 41 41 doors okay so so the builder built this he's ready to ready to sell it he approaches you offers seller financing on it with a little bit down um and this was back in 2011 is that what you said
1: this was oh nine or ten okay
0: 2010 So you went through with this deal and, and curious, um, you said it was 2.8, how much, how much money down did he request that you put on it? I
1: believe it was 150 at the time.
0: Okay. Put, put down on that deal. Gotcha. So right around 5%. Um, and then he carried the note. Um, have you since refinanced him out or what's, how's that progressed?
1: Yeah, absolutely. That, that happened nine, nine months later, actually.
0: Okay. Very cool. So you refinance him out and tell us about that process.
1: Yeah. I I didn't think that I was going to be able to do it so quickly. Um, When I really dove into the, to the, um, when I was doing my due diligence before I purchased the property, I remember going through it and saying, man, this is a lot of stuff that that I'm not familiar with. And um, I remember actually starting to pick up the phone and call him and turn the deal down. But then I really started to kick myself and, and say, you know, this is a hell of an opportunity. If you don't take this, hell, you're 26, 27. This is a huge mistake. And so, long story short, I took it. And then I saw an opportunity where you could raise the rents a little bit to what I thought was market. And so I raised the rents enough to, that enabled me basically, I guess, to, to get the NOI up to where I was able to refinance it. Uh, through a third party, a, a different bank anyway, and, and just pay him off. And so I had, obviously I bought it for 2.8 and when I refinanced it, it appraised for 3.2. Nice. And so I had a, a $400,000 equity, um, $400,000 equity on top of what I bought it for uh, within a nine month period. And then, you know, who, who doesn't get excited about that? So yeah,
0: no kidding. Um, that so one, it appraises one, for 3.2 yeah yeah so it appraises for 3.2 did you go through Fannie for it or how did you finance this
1: yeah i did conventional
0: conventional um,
1: okay local financing through a bank
0: and what loan to value did they let you go with on this i
1: believe it's 80 okay 80 percent loan to value mm-hmm.
0: gotcha so when you refinanced out were you able to recoup any of that 150 you put down or did they just basically pay him out and restructure it, and you just held the uh, the asset. It's,
1: it's Of course, I'd have to do some math here. <laughs> you yeah. me without a calculator. Yeah, yeah. So
0: 20 percent would be six forty off of three point two. So you're looking at you know two point two point six roughly. 2. 6, which yeah. you know, if you bought it at two point eight, put one fifty down, you'd be in for two point six five. So you're right at that. Break even. of course you got closing costs as well so it looked like you you would have left a little bit in there um but you would have been able to completely get him out of the situation which is the goal and um and then just continue to hold on to the asset and then this is you know obviously cash flow positive or you you wouldn't be doing this let's talk about the strategy on this property was this property stabilized when you bought it was there significant value add or what was your approach on this
1: uh, you know, strategy and first multifamily acquisition and no experience—that—that that word didn't exist back then. So for, <laughs> for me, <laughs> so a lot of it was you know fumbling forward and just figuring out. You know, you understand that you have a something that's ca- that has positive cash flow and and uh, uh, you know I was not looking at return on equity or IRRs or any of that. I Didn't know any of that, and so um, it was a real. Basic back of the napkin. Okay, this can pay for itself and have a little bit left over at the end of the day. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm sorry, but I couldn't couldn't tell you a strategy on that one. That that didn't exist back then.
0: That's amazing. Well, what I love about <laughs> what I love about the uh, the irony of this story is you you did exactly what thousands of multifamily investors are beating their head against the wall to do, and you didn't even really realize it. You know, um, yeah. finding multifamily owners that are willing to do seller financing and let you put very little down and then refi out and get them out of the picture within a year is I would jump at that chance right so that was that was a really fortuitous situation and I'm glad you took advantage of it and you know kudos to you for coming up with the money to make it happen. Another thing I love about this is this is you know this is under a hundred units under a hundred doors it's you know less than fifty doors like forty something doors but you own this yourself. You don't have anybody else involved in this based on what you're telling me. So when you refi out, you own this $3.2 million asset solely. And, you know, as this thing appreciates and you pay this off, you're the only one hanging on to this. And I guess my problem with, you know, the way a lot of these massive syndications are done is you have to bring in so many people and give away so much that at the end of the day, you know, you're, you're left holding a tiny sliver of a huge deal, which is still good. Don't get me wrong, but man, it's much more simple when you do it the way you just did this one, where you're the only one that you're the only one that owns this, you know, uh, you're the only one that's receiving the profit. You're the only one that, you know, that's managing the deal. You don't have investors to keep up with and there is a lot of benefit in just keeping things simple in this situation. And, um, and another thing you said that's that's uh, really funny to me, I may rename my podcast Fumbling Forward. I, I like that. <laughs>
1: yeah, that's the story of my life.
0: I like. <laughs> fumbling Forward. At least you're not fumbling backwards, you know? So. Uh,
1: well, yeah, yeah. Two steps forward, one step back kind of thing mm-hmm. is what it feels like sometimes. But yeah, that's...
0: Yeah. Man, what a great first deal. That's, that's awesome. Um, okay, so where did you go from there? You... Started off doing stuff on the real estate agent side, working sales calls. Realized that's not really what I want to do. Um, you're currently a broker, right? Licensed broker. I do have my broker's license. Yeah, um, as do I. And um, let's see. Tell, I don't think we covered this, but the audience, I'm sure this would benefit them. How old are you, James? I'm 36. 36. Okay, so let's talk about where you went after this. This first apartment deal? Yeah,
1: I, I had, I still had my brokerage company, Oboe Real Estate Company, and so I still had that business on the side as well, actually, you know, on the side, that was really my main focus, and then I had this apartment complex, and so I was taking the phone calls, and showing the units, and signing the leases, and changing out the, um, uh, these, like, seals on drippy sinks, anything that I could repair myself, and fix myself, I was I was handling that, and then I hired a girl to come in and help me, and so she came in for a couple of years, and yeah, let's see, this is 2010, then in two years, I got involved in fitness, um, I got involved in CrossFit, and I got, what I, I did get sidetracked from real estate, um, but I was kind of sidetracked off of real estate. But it was me and another friend, Lee Flynn, common mutual friend of ours, were doing CrossFit at CrossFit Shoals, and we found out that that gym was going, going to be closing and moving across the river, and so we didn't have a gym in our, our immediate market, and so I remember talking to Lee about it, hey, why don't we partner up, I'll go find some land, I'll build the building, buy the land, build the building, and we'll just operate this business together, and we did, and so in January of 13, we opened our doors across Noala, next to the YMCA here in Florence and hired coaches. And I remember I spent my time coaching the 8 a.m. or the 8.30 class and then the noon class. And then I had coaches that handled the early morning, 4 a.m., 5 a.m., and then the afternoon and evening classes. And that went on until 2016 when I was considering Selling the business, and then I sold that business to a gentleman here in town in 17, 2017, and he is still operating. A, he, he's doing a I I hired him back in 15 or 16 to be my manager, like general manager, because he was just a super dude, super smart fitness guy. Just got his degree from UNA. Uh, had been doing CrossFit since 2008, 2009 that's the kind of guy I wanted to run in my shop and he was running it so well I was like well this is this is the guy I need to sell it to and so he he bought it and and is still continuing to run that business so so I will never look at that experience as I know I called it a sidetrack but man that was such a uh, a good learning experience as well as I could talk about that for an hour so I I won't, I won't do that but but that's what I got involved in after I um after I acquired those those forty one units. So I was still managing that, I was running my real estate company. I kind of put my real estate company on hold and then focused on CrossFit and developing that business and then sold it and then got back into real estate back in two thousand seventeen.
0: Yeah, and this is a common thread that I find with a lot of real estate investors and and really entrepreneurial people is Um, real estate is a really great place to grow your money, right? And I think that's why a lot of us end up over in real estate. But there's also a commonality that a lot of us share, which is running other businesses. Um, And I think that's because if you have the skill set to build a real estate portfolio, you have the skill set to also build a business. And that's what you're doing. You're building a real estate business. And for those that have the impression that real estate is purely passive, um, you've gotten the wrong impression unless you're just investing on the limited partner side and syndications. Um, when you are finding a deal, buying a deal, fixing a deal up, refinancing a deal, man, you know, placing managers, you know, solving problems on the constant repair issues and that kind of thing, you are running a business which requires your attention and you'll see owners that have not paid attention to their business and you will see a property that is going into foreclosure or that is struggling. And so the better you are at running your real estate business, the better results you're going to get from your real estate assets. And it works the same way with running a CrossFit business, running an appraisal business, running a brokerage. Um, You know, there are things you have to do to make that business succeed and work you're going to have to put in on the front end and constant efforts are going to have to go into making that business run. And so this is not a surprising thing that, you know, you did the CrossFit thing, you got it up and going, it was successful, you were able to sell it, because there's a lot of transferable skills from, you know, buying an apartment complex, doing what you do on your first deal, and then building a business, you know, and so I personally have had this same experience, you know, I started a hiking company that was doing Kilimanjaro treks over in Tanzania, I ran that from the US. Had, had good success with that. Dabbled with some startups during graduate school. Felt like that was, uh, you know, definitely it, that that didn't go where we were wanting it to, but I learned a ton from that. And um, and then, you know, had left after working at CBRE, started my own appraisal business. That's been going well. Help my, helped my wife start her own counseling business. That's going well. And then started the real estate business. That's going well as well. But there's been a lot of there's been a lot of inertia to all that. It's not easy to start a, a business and take it to the point where it's thriving. It's di- very difficult. So I don't want people to get the impression that you just leave your employer and start a business and it's going to take off, but it can, it can, but it mm-hmm. takes it takes a lot of effort. You know, it takes a lot of effort. Starting the the CrossFit business wasn't as easy as just getting a building and starting it. You You guys had to really put a lot of effort and thought into that. And it works the same way with, the real estate business. Um, what are your What are your thoughts on the transferable skills from just running a business outside of real estate to building your real estate business?
1: I think whatever you're doing, you need to pour yourself into. And and that's not if you're doing something for yourself. That's not eight to five. That's twenty four hours a day, seven days a week. And and I think if you pour if you truly pour yourself into something and really Compassionate about it, and you're going to have days that you're not passionate about it. But then you, you have to remind yourself of whatever it was that that interested you and in getting into it, whether it's retiring early or whatever the goal is. You know, always remind yourself or surround yourself with those reminders of why you got into it. But passion, not passion, but just really just dedication um, in whatever it is you're doing. And yeah. here's the thing, you know, it's it's you're going to learn whether you've I mean fail, I hate to say the word, use the word fail because failures only you only fail if you quit or give up. And, and maybe CrossFit is not a success and you move into something else they're gym I mean they're, they're, they're nuggets, um, golden nuggets there that um, are very valuable information through that experience that you had. and you can either have a positive attitude about it or a negative attitude about it. Uh, But typically, if you have a positive attitude about it and say, okay, what and how can I learn from this and apply it to the next thing, you're going to be, you should be successful in the long term.
0: Totally. Totally. And I've even evolved in my thinking on this matter of what failure is. Um, Sometimes you get the impression that failure is not reaching a goal you put in writing or something like that. Um, I don't think that's the definition of failure uh, in my eyes. In my eyes, failure is um, taking a loss on something or doing something and like you said, quitting and not taking anything away from that, from that loss that can benefit you going forward. I even think losing money is not equal to a failure, right? Losing money, it doesn't mean yeah. you fail. Losing money could be the best thing that ever happened to you if it teaches you a principle that you can apply going forward. Um, just like making money may not be a success story. Um, it could be one of the worst things that's ever happened to you. If you do something wrong or stupid or unknowingly, you know, do something wrong and you, you end up making money from it just out of dumb luck, well, that doesn't necessarily mean you've learned a lot, right? You, mm-hmm. you may have just gotten lucky. So you go and take that same chance again and then it costs you in a big way you know, that first success actually helped you help lead you to this larger loss later. So what I'm trying to get to is, you know, starting, starting businesses and then them not necessarily going as well as you were hoping or investing in a real estate project and not necessarily getting the return you thought you were going to get. That's not necessarily failure. That's, that's learning. And as long as you can apply that learning going forward and continue to grow as a, as a you know, a business person in this example, you're succeeding that success. So um I, I was listening to, I can't remember the guy's name right now. Uh, you guys would know him if I, if I said his name. I can't remember his name off the top of my head. But anyway, he was telling his kids that he wants them to try something new and try to fail. He wants them to try to try something new daily and experience failure. And he encourages that so they will learn, which I thought was genius because the natural tendency you have as a parent is to want to protect your kids from anything that's going to be um, harmful to them or discouraging to them and that kind of thing. Because you just love them so much, right? You don't want to see them sad. But really the best thing you can do for them is help put them into situations they're going to teach them through failure how to be successful. Um, and I, I just thought that was genius. I was like, wow. So I've been trying to approach life with my children that same way, like, Hey, you know, if my kids, you know, haven't ever been fishing, let's go fishing. You know, if they haven't ever done gymnastics, let's, let's get you signed up in gymnastics. Let's try music. Let's try, you know, come up with a business idea. Let's try to go put it into action. And when they fail, I'll like telling them, you know, Hey, this is how, this is how things work. You're, you know, you gotta, you gotta persist. You gotta figure this out. And I've, you know, it. you see the light bulb go off with them. And it's something that I've certainly learned from as well. So mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm. Yeah, I, lo- I love it. I, I love it. Not every day of life is uh, blue skies and white clouds. You know, we, we all have those rainy days. And sometimes we have those, those uh, tornadoes, the hurricanes in our life too. And absolutely. And you, you can't, you can't let them keep you down.
0: So uh, Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. And you know, something I'm going through right now on my own personal business journey is I'm just tired. I'm honestly just tired. And I've been going so hard at real estate, got two podcasts going, growing my social media, you know, to a point that I feel like there's a really good thing going there, running my appraisal business, managing my children from home as they the schools are closed with COVID, you know, it, on and on and on we go, got flips going out of state and, you know, trying to start multifamily syndication, that kind of thing. I'm just tired. And it's like, right now I'm just, I'm just taking a break. I'm slowing down and I'm not quitting. I'm just saying, Hey, I need some, I need some time here to, uh, to rest, to re-energize. And then I'm going to start going hardcore again. So I think it's okay in life to like slow down at time periods. You're not trying to keep up with anyone else. You're trying to, trying to basically just be the best version of yourself and there's a time there's a time for everything there's a time to go hardcore and there's a time to pull back and rest a little bit so um so let's talk about this uh let's talk about this restaurant you were able to get to Florence because I love this story about and then this is speaks to your entrepreneurial spirit James let's talk about what what you came, what idea you came up with and how you put this into play
1: Yes, the auto electric building uh, next to Singen River Brewery in Florence. This super cool uh, red brick building, uh, green metal roof that has been there since 1941. Uh, it, um, they were going out of business. The, the gentleman had passed away and the property. It was making its way to the descendants, and they were going to be selling it. And, being right there next to the brewery, I just thought that this was just a super cool location, and the building, which is just, just super cool too. I mean, just this old 19 again, 1941. Anyway, it just had really cool bones too. I remember um, going over there with the owner and looking around and getting a ladder and looking up into the ceiling and seeing these old wood trusses. I was like, wow, this is a gem. And and so we, long story short, we we bought the building. And we had the idea that we were going to go in there and turn um, about 4,000 square feet of the building into a collaborative co-working space, like a private plug-and-play option. And then the left side of the building, which was smaller, is about 2,800 square feet, was going to be a burger joint um, with a local restaurant that had a um, fantastic hamburger they were wanting to, or they they were talking about doing a hamburger and milkshake business, which I was like, man, you got offices, really cool office space. And then you got hamburgers and milkshakes. This is going to be fantastic. And long story short there, that did not work out. And so I was back to square one with um, plan, plan A didn't work. And so what was Plan B going to be? And I remember thinking as well, this could be a really cool restaurant. I mean, that's something that we were like the whole building, or at least the bigger side anyway, could have been a restaurant. And, and so I started exploring options of what I thought would fit in there. And tacos and hamburgers, I feel like were would be a hit. And let me, so let let me stop this.
0: you. Let me stop you real quick. Let me stop you real quick. Sure. This this is a building. Is this building connected to the brewery, or is it separate from the brewery and just next door? It's separate next door. Okay. Do you own the building that the brewery's in, and, and did you own this other building, or was this building up for sale? Or tell us about that part of it.
1: This, I do not own the brewery, and okay. this building, uh, through the grapevine, we, we understood that uh, the owner was, or the, the descendants were going to be selling it, and so I okay.
0: just called them. So, so you're, you're basically, you've, you've located a property that you think could be purchased off-market, it's not advertised for sale, next to this brewery that that's a new brewery that's thriving, bringing a lot of attention to the area, and you're brainstorming on an idea that you could take this basically vacant building, dilapidated building, and what you could do with that. Absolutely, yep. Okay, let's continue with your story then.
1: Okay, and so plan A didn't work, so working on plan B now. And so I had a list of people that I was interested in speaking with about, you know, leasing the space. And Taco Mama was one of them. And so I I got a legal pad out and I hand wrote this note, said, dear Taco Mama, you know, I really enjoy your food. You guys have a fantastic, you know, following. I've got this great space I'd love to show you in Florence. Um, Please consider this like an invite. Um, to, to Florence, I'd love to introduce you to the movers and shakers of Florence, the mayor, the council members, so on and so forth. And I'll put you up in the Gunrunner, which was a new boutique hotel here in Florence. I said, I'll put you up in there for the night, and I just want to get to know you kind of thing. And so uh, Will Haver, the owner and founder of Taco Mama, uh, responded to me in an email, and he said, that's the first time we've ever received a handwritten note. And um, he said, I'm going to take you up on your offer. And so him and Dayton, their business development officer, came to Florence. A couple of weeks later, we had a really good visit, introducing them to everyone. Um, Will is a fantastic person. I'm sure Will, Will would make a great guy to speak to as well. Um, he's, he's got some real estate involvement there too. But uh, um, So anyway, they came to town, showed them the space. We began talking uh, back and forth through their real estate agent. They got a real estate agent involved to represent them. And we were really close to coming to an agreement on the lease price and terms. And I was coming back from Nashville one day and I got an email from their broker that said, hey, it's Kevin, call me, we need to talk. And I've been through enough things in my life that I knew – that was a breakup call. And so
0: you ever hear somebody called, say, call me, we need to talk. That's an ominous text. Or
1: <laughs> yes. And so I called him. And we were on the phone when I got home. And he said, Hey, you know, Will's extremely grateful for, you know, the accommodations the visit. But we don't think that we're ready for Florence yet. Or, and, and so, and I remember just kind of sitting there quietly listening to him. And when he was done talking, I said, Kevin, I'm sorry, but I'm just not going to take no for an answer this time. Um, we're just going to, uh, we're going to work through this. We're going to figure out a way to make this work. And whether it's a percentage of sales, I don't know. Maybe there's something out there I don't know that you can help me with, but Takamama's coming to Florence and they're (laughs) going to be in this location. And he was, I could see him, you know, I could hear him shaking his head on the phone. I don't know, man. You know, I just, you know, I'm like, call them and get them back on the phone and let them know that we're, we're going to figure out a way to get this done. And Oh, well, all right. I'll talk to you in a week or two, you know, and, and that was Friday moving into the weekend. Well, I had the owner's email and I had a lot of friends. We have we both have a lot of friends here in Florence and the Shoals. And so what I did was I started letting everyone know what was going on. Hey, Taco Mama was like had their foot in the door and, and they're having second thoughts. And I want you to email these people if you have any interest in having them here. If you've ever eaten there, just let them know how much you love the place and how much you'd love to have them there. And and that became a viral response through my immediate friends and they kept passing it on to others. And I think it was Monday morning, Will sent me an email and said, Hey man, I have never received that type of response from anyone in any market telling us that they want us there. And so long story short, we buttoned that agreement I think by the end of that week, or maybe the first of the net, next week, and then we got to work alongside their architects and their general contracts, and and they have moved into the space and they have they're running a very successful business there. So,
0: so so between the time you were negotiating with him about the property, did you get this property under contract? Had you already purchased it, or how were you managing that part of the the deal?
1: Yeah, that was that was a pretty easy piece we went in and just purchased the building at uh, up, up front uh, gotcha
0: so you purchased it before you had the lease correct yes the lease with taco mama so, so man i mean that's what an amazing story about you know envisioning a use for a, a vacant building then having the you know having the entrepreneurial initiative to not only get the building when it's off market but then go and find a tenant for that building that would really you know, enhance the the area of town, and also be a good um, a good addition to the brewery next door. Right, um, the brewery's now got a place you can get some good food next door to it. So, um, th- this creates a synergy between those two um, locations. That's uh, the sum is greater than the parts, which is you know obviously what you're looking for um, when you're placing a tenant in a new space. You want there to be a good synergy amongst the tenants in that area. And this is the kind of thing um, that you really can't, I don't think you can necessarily teach um, that you're doing is just taking the initiative to think creatively and go out there and make things happen, which I I love that story. And um, it's got to be cool to go in and eat at Taco Mama and see everybody there enjoying the food and think that you made that, you know, made that happen and such a cool way to approach getting that tenant there by getting everyone else involved and sending them letters about hey we want you here you know mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: i heard yeah, that same I, strategy I love, I
0: love yeah i heard that same strategy used with uh when i was in raleigh uh living in raleigh north carolina while i was doing my mba at north carolina university of north carolina um there was a developer that wanted to bring whole foods in and uh and there whole foods was digging in their heels and they did the same thing they got they got a petition together, just started getting everyone, you know, in a three or four mile radius to sign this petition. And it turned into a massive list of people lobbying for Whole Foods to come there. And so Whole Foods decided to, to enter the market and um, it was a really successful development. So, um, well, so I know we could, we could talk for quite a while, but I want to, before we, you know, finish our interview, I want to talk about your building project in Huntsville on the previous interview um, getting close to two years ago, we were talking about a deal that you were working on where you had some land under contract, I believe we're at that phase of the whole project. And let's tell us about this project and, and how many doors this is, the the cost of this project and uh, give us some detail on this.
1: Yes, it is a 16 and a half acre development next to Madison Hospital in Madison Medical Park in Huntsville, Alabama it's a two hundred and fifty eight unit class a three story garden style development and the total budgeted cap on that project was forty point one million
0: Wow forty million dollar two hundred and fifty eight door three-story apartment complex project in Huntsville. And Huntsville is a market, Huntsville, Alabama is a market that is really exploding right now. It's on a lot of the top list on places to invest in multifamily. It's getting a lot of attention. And um, this is, what is the, outside of this $40 million deal, what's the largest deal you did previous to this? Dollar-wise?
1: 9.6 million.
0: Okay. So when we talk about leveling up and scaling vertically, as well as horizontally, you started with a $2.8 million deal. Um, You then tinkered around with uh, another business. And then, you know, I know you've done some other multifamily deals that we haven't covered here, but you stair-stepped your way up, you know, eventually to a $9 million deal. Um, and then took a big leap from 9 million to 40 million. And this was a building project instead of, um, buying something existing. So what kind of, let's talk through the, the, the mental approach you took to this to get you to a point where you were okay with taking that leap.
1: <laughs> the, the mental <laughs> approach. Insanity.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Insanity.
1: Uh, uh. Oh my goodness. Um, I like your, I like that you picked that term. Um, The mental approach. Well, when I took, let me give you some back history on that 9.6. So when I came into the family company, my dad went through some issues with some managers and people who were helping him. And so he needed some help in 2017. So I came into the family company at that time and Began managing their assets and developing a plan for their growth and their future, and so in that uh, involved, you know, um, a local relationship that I built with the a family here in town who had built a 110-unit apartment complex, which is Seville Place, and they sent something across my desk that hey, we're considering selling it. We know we talked to you about building it back in '14, but anyway, now now we're at the table and we want to get rid of it, and and i saw 9.6 and it was the same thing as 2.8 i was like oh my god how, how am i going to do this this is crazy so and long story short figured that one out you know um that's under uh management with the family company and that's a nice little cash flowing asset for them and then going from that to uh 258 door new development was it all boils down to, at the end of the day, whatever it is you're doing, whether it's Elon Musk or, or or whoever, you just gotta believe in yourself. And and, it's really interested in in the Huntsville market just because of the opportunities that I'm sure everyone's well aware of now. And and, buying stabilized multifamily properties in 17 and 18, even now is even more difficult I figured out real quick that I was like this is going to be I'm either going to buy it like on a five cap on next year's earnings or I mean I have to figure out a way to to get, do this differently and so new development obviously creates um, a barrier to entry um, just because you got to be crazy to do it I think number one especially if you've never done it before <laughs> and um, the name of the game is you know controlling everything, um, anything that could go wrong, you need, you want and need to know about it and you need to figure out how you're going to overcome that. So um, um, Ray Dalio's book, Principles, was very helpful in my navigating this new territory of going from stabilized to to big, 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 big multifamily, or at least it's big for me anyway, so big multifamily development. So um, yeah, yeah, there were um, I had many of those days where I'm, Oh man, I'm tired of this is, this is crazy why <laughs> you got it so far and now you got to get it all the way through. And, um, you know, I yeah. think the, where we left it off on last podcast was, you know, we had, we had encountered some dirt issues, I believe, wasn't that, was that right? Yeah. Was I think it? on
0: the last episode you had the land under contract I think you had the land under contract at that point maybe you had already closed on the land but you had found some issues with with the land that you were having to deal with some dirt issues of some sort but you had not broken ground at that point and you had not raised the money I don't think you had raised the money the equity required to close on the financing and that's something that you know I know people are wondering well how did you do a 40 million dollar Building project that's really expensive, right? So, mm-hmm. let's talk. Let's talk quickly about that because I know if I were listening in, I, that'd be something I would wonder about. So, you found the land, you put together a budget for this whole project, and we we don't have to go into the details on everything because we could probably talk talk about this one deal for several hours. But um, once you got your entire budget together. You took this to a lender and what were the terms the lender gave you on the construction loan for this project?
1: Most of them offered 65% loan to cost.
0: Okay. So you're going to have to come up with 35% loan to cost. You said most of them. What did your lender end up doing? Was it 65%? It was like 68,
1: 69, close to 70.
0: Okay. So they give you a 70% loan to cost loan on a $40 million deal. So you got to come up with 12 million bucks, correct? Roughly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, does that include holding costs as well?
1: It uh, it did. Okay, That included everything.
0: Okay. So you got to come up with 12 million bucks. Did you have 12 million, 12 million bucks, James? No. <laughs> <laughs> come on. Why not? <laughs>
1: yeah. Actually, just let me move my mattress over. There it is. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: Okay. So... You had, to, you had to then go out and solve another problem, right? Which is figuring out where you're going to get this massive amount of money. Um, I think this is part of the equation that holds a lot of people back from doing real estate. Um, they, they can envision buying something. They can envision building something. Um, but they cannot envision themselves coming up with millions of dollars to close on it. I don't know why there's a disconnect there. But and I do know that's very difficult, it's very challenging, right? But it's very possible as well. So let's talk about what you did, um, the processes you went through to be able to come up with this money to be able to close this deal. Sure. Um,
1: so we had to close on the land by November 1st, I believe it was in 2018, and through the family capital we were actually able to lever some other things that we had and come up with the capital internally. We just didn't have that money sitting around. So we had to figure out a way to do that. Whole that's for the thing. land, come up with we're the good. capital
0: for the land, right?
1: The land, you know, that's as far as I could push the landowner back. So he was, he was, we're going to close or I'm going to sell it to somebody else for more. You know, kind of. so, <laughs> that, so, so there you are. That was, that was, I feel like when I, you know, leapt out of the airplane and, and began building my parachute down. And so, um, so close on the land. And then it's just, I know it, it may sound kind of basic and simple, but it was, it was just a simple question of how am I going to do, I had to answer that question, how am I going to do this? And when you, when you don't have any experience in that kind of deal, I, I'm sorry, but 41 units and 110 units doesn't really, I mean, it kind of passes over a little bit, but nobody assigned any type of credibility to that, in my opinion, or gave me any of that credibility that passed over into this deal. It's a sure you own some stabilized things or you manage some stabilized things. You've never, this is new development. Like why are we going to trust you Right. and why should we believe you? And so a lot of that involved, and that's, I was asking myself the same thing, obviously reading principles by Ray Dalio, you know, you, those, that book brings up these very legitimate things, you know, how am I going to do this? So, um, so it was solving and providing a lot of answers and, and having a story and um, sorry, that's vague, but um,
0: Yeah. So, I mean, how did you, how did you raise the money? Did you bring people into your team? had connections did you start calling investors you knew how did you make it happen
1: so when i came into i started going to these mfe multifamily executive conferences back in 16 i believe it was there's two there's one in vegas and there's one in vale and i started going to those and just getting out there and networking with people and if you've ever been to those you know you've got like uh, discussions during the day and you've got social hour at night so I started going to those and then this I am in conferences across the nation. I just started putting myself out there across the nation, meeting people, learning things, and then obviously talking, bringing the project up that I was working on with other people and just letting everyone know what I was doing. And again, what what what, what did we say earlier? 90% of it's putting yourself out there. And so that's what I was doing. And, and so I, it came March or April of 2019. And I would gotten everything kind of buttoned up, and my my um, my PPM documents ready. And I said, and I remember sent them to you. And I said, Hey, look, here it is. It's all done. You know, I thought it was gonna be e- easy. You just start sending this thing out, and checks start coming in. And no way. <laughs> uh, and so no one wanted to be really the first one to kind of step into it. Not even for a hundred grand. Um, and. Uh, so I found a group that is headquartered out of Tampa that had an interest in the market that had other assets in the market. And, and we got to talking and, and we developed a partnership there to where they said, Hey, you know, we've got about 3000 doors under management. We feel like we can add to the credibility of the deal and which they, I mean, they did and they, they do, and they had exposure to new development before in the past. And so we brought them as, um, them in as a co-GP and they were able to tap into their network. So their job at that point was to help raise the capital, um, which was about $11 million left at that time. And so uh, so that's that's what we did. We put together um, a joint PPM, you know, that displayed, you know, their experience and my experience and the deal. And, and then we wound up bringing in a significant investment, which was about 65% of the total equity from a group that manages some pension fund money. And once we got them in the deal, it was almost like that that sucker was stamped and approved. And all those other people who said no earlier, you know, started coming back to the table. And we filled that gap pretty quickly um, and closed on the bank loan and the equity uh, december thirty first at two thirty two p m last last year and began construction january sixteenth
0: and at two thirty three p m you drove <laughs> you drove to the brewery and had a tall <laughs> ice cold beer to celebrate <laughs> no, <laughs> i'm kidding
1: oh uh, man yeah
0: that's um that- man what a crazy What a crazy experience and an exhilarating experience. Uh, I'm sure there were time periods throughout that whole thing where you're like, you send your PPM out, you're not getting the money. You're like, I own this land, got all this money invested in this. I don't know where this, how I'm going to get this thing from A to B that was pretty scary. Right.
1: Oh, absolutely.
0: Um,
1: Um, One of the most probably I don't want to say frightening, but one of the most intimidating things I've ever done. Mm Mm-hmm.
0: sure yeah yeah and i think there's also a correlation with you know stepping out into new territory being scared being intimidated and also growth you know because you grew a ton through this deal now you've you guys have broken ground on this um you've been putting pictures up by the way go check out james um social profiles he's on Uh, actually tell us where people can connect with you james
1: yeah i'm i'm on linkedin james W Bobo the second on LinkedIn and I believe my name on Instagram I think it's just my name I think it's James W Bobo on Instagram uh, so those yeah are and there's are my most frequented social network
0: yeah so. and you can go check out this project that's they've broken ground there's buildings going up it's really exciting but 40 million dollar project and James was sharing with I was asking him the other day when you model this out what kind of exit cap are you modeling and what was your hold period that you modeled James was it five seven years
1: it was a four year
0: hold okay and he was telling me they modeled out I think it was a six and a half cap on the exit well you know right now in Huntsville things are going for about this is a class a asset and things are going for about you know a five cap so you know this this project's looking very good um, as it's being built right now very promising from a profitability standpoint and uh, i've got a ton of respect for you for pulling this off james this is awesome and um i love the problem solving strategy you took you know having issues you brought a partner in you were able to to uh, team up with someone on the gp and and get from a to b and um that's uh that's really great so um we're going to wrap this up um tell us i guess before we go you know what are what's something you think is a quality that you must have to be successful as a real estate investor?
1: As a real estate investor, um, I'm going to, I'm going to assume you mean active investor.
0: Yeah. I mean, active, not, not a, not an L, not investing in syndications on the LP side. I'm talking about a real estate business owner, you know, active investor.
1: Having the right mentality. Um, my dad preached this to me, and I'm sure your dad preached it to you your whole life because I know your dad, and he's a great man. Um, having the right mentality uh, in whatever it is you're going into, again, whether it's a business or real estate, you have to surround yourself every day with that, um, that information that puts you in that right mindset. You know, I'm looking at my personal values right now. I have them in my office, and I have them in my closet, too. And so every day I see that list of personal values and it's a reminder and that changes. You know, I think we talked about that last time I was on the show that those values change over time, but those are the things that, um, remind me to, um, uh, kind of, I'm, I'm trying to be the best that I can be. And I don't know what that is or reach my full potential and I have no idea what my full potential is. And so,
0: right. Absolutely. I love that. Well, what are, do you have those values there that you could share with us? Is that something you're willing to share?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I'd love to. Um, the, the top one I have is cultivate a sense of trust, compassion, stability, and hope in others. Um, practice persistence and determination, you know, never ever give up on something I believe in live and experience life outside my comfort zone. Practice radical truthfulness and transparency. That comes from Ray. Um, grab opportunity by the horns. Uh, remember that good things start with an expression. Good things start with an, an expression of our compassion for others. Uh, keep an open mind. Recognize my opinion is not always right. Uh, achieve new levels of relational growth with others. Most important, importantly, my wife and my family. Help other people. Surround myself with people who are more successful than I am. Listen to those people and ask them for help. Remember that personal growth and development never ends. It shouldn't. And, um, and then the very last one, it says, remember that I was born to do great things. And, and I, I, I put that as a fact for me because I started to write, believe that I was born to do great things. But I think it's better that I just kind of write in stone and just say, like, it, it is a built-in belief. So, yeah. Um, we're, we're you know you, you, you follow me on that so oh yeah not trying absolutely. to be cocky or anything like no, that
0: no you know so no i, I think you got to have you got to operate from the perspective that you were you're here to you know to make positive change in the world or else you adopt the perspective that you may be here to do that and you're not sure you know which is a different right. mindset so those are awesome principles and i know that um it's those principles are driving force behind the success you've had so far. And I, I really appreciate you sharing your story. I want to have you back, of course, in the future, once your project is complete and we can talk about, you know, the process of getting this thing, you know, stabilized and, and, uh, you know, things that have happened from there, but this has been great, James. I really do appreciate you, man. And, uh, we will, we will catch you next time.
1: Thanks for having me. I really, it's always good to catch up.
0: Thanks for tuning in to Multifamily Mavericks. If you enjoyed this episode, please
1: subscribe, leave us a rating and review, and share it with your friends. It helps us grow, which helps us find great guests, which in turn helps you grow. And don't forget to connect with us on LinkedIn or on Instagram at Multifamily Mavericks at Daily Real Estate Investor at Part-Time Empire. Join us next time to keep learning the multifamily game and scale up to financial freedom.